All right. Well, we're going to step into God's Word this morning and a perfect song to help us uh, kind of move in that direction, standing on the promises of God, because church family, today we return to our Standing on the Promises of God series that we stepped into a number of weeks ago, kind of mid-spring. But we've been apart from this series for the last two mornings together. We enjoyed Mother's Day, and, and then last Sunday was the end of ministry season celebration, as we were talking about earlier. So today, Lord willing, we're going to take up yet another one of the more than 3,500 promises that God gives us in his word. And I know that I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, but I believe that all of you would say, when God makes a promise, we can count on him to keep it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, did we dismiss the kids or <laughs> did that not happen? They're all, no, you, are you going to Sunday school? Yeah, you go to Sunday school. All right. <laughs> you know, I actually would want to keep them in here because they respond back just like that. Yeah, that was great. Oh, that was too good. Oh, boy, that one got past Brandon. But uh, in any case, when God makes a promise, we can count on it, right? And we've looked at a number of verses that would affirm that, but one that, that we introduced on the very first morning of the series from Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, makes that absolutely clear. In fact, let's just read it as a church family right off the screen. Can we do that? God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? What's the answer? No. no. When he makes a promise, he fulfills his promises. And here's a definition of God's promises that we laid hold of that very first morning of our series. You remember this? God's promises are the irrevocable guarantees that he gives to his children so they can live daily with confident faith, even while they wait patiently for him to work. Irrevocable guarantees so that we can live with a confident faith every single day. Because God keeps his promises. Now, so far in our series, uh, we've shared together God's promise of eternal life, his promise to guide us through every step of this life, and his promise uh, of our ultimate victory that that we, we know the end of the story, and through faith in Jesus, we're on the winning side, right? Because he's promised us the victory. Well, today, it is God's promise of answered prayer. We're going to focus our attention on two passages this morning, one from the Old, one from the New Testament, and then pull in some others as we go along. So on your note page... Um, just take a look at, at uh, these two passages. You're welcome to join me in your Bible at these places as well. I would encourage that. But just to make sure that we all would have them, from Jeremiah chapter 33, and there on that note page, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things 
that you have not known. What a promise. And then in Matthew chapter 7, the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Those are the two passages that... Church family, we want to work with this morning and tease some prayer truth out of. So would you just join me for a second? Let's pray and ask the Lord to take us into these places. And Lord, out of verse 3 there of Jeremiah 33, you tell us that you will show us great and hidden things that we've not known. And this morning, maybe what all we're going to need is to be reminded of truths that we already know about prayer. And if that should be the case, that would be great. But if you would be pleased by your spirit to perhaps introduce us to something new about prayer that we've not really considered before, we'd be pleased to have that from you as well. Lord, help me to just get out of the way so that your people can hear you and know better how to talk with you because you want us to talk with you and to ask you for great things. We love you, Lord, and we look forward to these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, all of us have uh, called someone on the phone and gotten a voice message, a, a greeting, perhaps that we weren't expecting. Uh, maybe the greeting caused us to laugh, or it might have left us wondering, now how do I respond to that? Uh, perhaps you can even think of one of these greetings that you have received along the way. Here's a, an example of a few. Hi, no one answers phone calls anymore. Send me a text. You ever get that one? Or how about this one? Hello, you've reached the number you most recently dialed. That would be true, right? That would be true. <laughs> Hi, long pause. Now you say something. Sorry, I'm not able to answer. Please leave your message after the tone. If you're calling regarding outstanding debt, please leave your message before the tone. <laughs> Hi, I am probably available. I'm just avoiding someone I don't like. Leave me a message, and if I don't call back, it's you. Hi, you've reached my voicemail. If you want money or to sell me something, I, A, gave it the office, B, already have it, or C, don't want it. If you're a friend trying to give me money, I'll call you back. <laughs> One more. Hello. You know what I hate about voicemail messages? They go on and on, wasting your time. I mean, all they really need to say is, we aren't in, leave a message. That's why I've decided to keep mine simple and short. I pledge to you, dearest caller, that you will never have to suffer through another long voicemail message when you call me. Oh, yeah, aren't you glad you get few of those? But aren't you glad that when you call God, God always picks up? He always answers. 
When we call him in prayer, he will always answer. That is his promise. We never get a busy signal. We never have to leave a voice message. That's his promise. Call to me and I will answer you. Ask and it will be given to you. Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher of the 1800s, says, Prayer is nothing but taking God's promise to him and saying, I trust you to do as you have said. That's what prayer is, taking his promises back to him. Now, I have said that. Now, having said that and and having read God's prayer promise in these two passages, most of us, I guess, if we are really honest with one another, would still say that when it comes to this thing called prayer, we have many questions. Even if we've been Christians for a long time and have prayed for a long time, we have many questions. Prayer is one of those areas of the Christian life that that seems to come with about as much mystery as it does clarity. While many Christians might say, you know, I can't imagine not going through my day without talking to my Heavenly Father over and over throughout the day, others would not be saying that. They know Jesus, but they wouldn't be saying that. They, they are frustrated, perhaps, by prayer, or, or it's confusing to them, or, or maybe even discouraging because they've prayed and it hasn't gone the way they prayed. And, and sadly, some even determine to no longer pray because they just don't understand how it works or see its benefits. For wherever you or I might be on this prayer practice continuum in this moment, the Holy Spirit, I believe, has supplied us with some some helpful insights in these two key passages from Jeremiah and Matthew that should help us and encourage us to avail ourselves of, of this incredible gift called prayer, where we Though we are frail and finite and and weak and clueless and sinful, we can come into the very presence of the God of the universe at any time at his invitation and not only talk to him, but ask him for things that we need or that we want for ourselves and for others. Uh, from From the petty to the profound, from from the momentary to things that are eternal from a a passing want or pleasure to a matter of life and death, we can come to our God and talk to him about that. We get to do that. It's his gift to us. So let's turn our attention first in Jeremiah's direction for some help and insight. But as we do that, as we take our Bibles and we turn to Jeremiah 33, Uh, we really need to understand the historical context for this particular passage. Um, And when I say historical context, some of you say, great, lay the history on me. Others are reaching for the snooze button, perhaps. Now, don't do that. I would just urge you not to do that. Brothers and sisters, we need the context for this passage. I've dropped you into the book of of Jeremiah this morning and into chapter 33 and and without a setting, without any kind of a, of a background. But we need that in order to make sense of what's being written and then be able to apply that to our lives. Not to mention the fact that it really does honor God when, when we approach his word carefully and accurately. So just a little background here. Jeremiah is God's mouthpiece. He's a prophet. 
in the Old Testament. He's God's choice to deliver some mostly bad news to his people, the Jewish people. The year is roughly 586 B.C. And Jeremiah, we know of him as the weeping prophet, oftentimes referred to that way because of his many tears that he shed while he was boldly and bravely delivering bad news to his people. After more than two centuries of deliberate defiance and rebellion by the Jewish people towards their God, God says, man, enough is enough. And so his discipline of his people is going to come. Uh, It's going to turn their hearts back to him, but it's going to be a severe discipline. It'll be swift. It will be devastating. It will come in the form of an invasion by the Babylonians. They are going to come and they're going to lay waste to Israel and to Judah. And they're going to carry the people away to a foreign land to become slaves to their conquerors. And this is going to last for 70 years. That's the message that Jeremiah gets to proclaim. Well, Zedekiah, the king of Judah, is so infuriated by Jeremiah's message of impending judgment and doom that he has the prophet thrown into prison. And so it is in the context of being cut off and shut, shut up and, and put away and marginalized and utterly alone. It's in that context that God gives Jeremiah and us a most amazing promise. The promise of answered prayer. And as we said earlier, the Holy Spirit has woven some helpful prayer insights into these verses that I think we can take advantage of. We read again, verse 1, Jeremiah 33, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Those words, church family, remind us that, that though Jeremiah has been rejected, he's been despised and locked up, and every effort has been made to ignore him and forget about him, God has not forgotten about him. His God has not forgotten him. The Lord came to Jeremiah. Though it's not overtly stated in this verse, here it is implied that Jeremiah is able to rest, though he's in prison, rest in the truth of God's presence in his life. God with him. His God's not in some far away, impossible to reach place, While he languishes in prison, God is with him. God came to him. Which, by the way, is a reminder of another of God's promises where God says in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God says, I will never leave you and I will what? I will never forsake you. That is a promise from God to you this morning who are in Jesus by faith. That's a promise that we are actually going to take up, Lord willing, next time we're together. Next Sunday morning, we're going to take up the, prom- the, the promise of God's presence. Um, we'll do that unless the Lord returns this week. And if Jesus comes back this week, the series is over. Okay? Good to go with that? I am good to go with that. All right. In the, just for the sake of time, though, um, because we are going to talk about the presence of God next week and that promise, we're, we won't camp out here. But it, it does foster and encourage us, us to pray just to know that God is present and he's in our life right now. No matter what 
your circumstances are, no matter what my situation might be, no matter how rejected or cut off or marginalized or or alone you might feel in this moment, we are never alone, ever, if we are in Jesus through faith in him. That is a good thing, isn't it? That is a great thing. And it encourages us to want to talk to our God. Meaningful, difference-making prayer begins with our being able to rest in the truth that when God is in our life, we are never alone. And then before God says to Jeremiah and us, call on me and I will answer, in verse 3, God first says to Jeremiah, reflect on my power. Rest in my presence. That will encourage you to pray. But reflect on my power before you pray. Before you pray, verse 2, God says this, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Since God is our creator, he's the creator of everything that exists, both in the seen and in the unseen realms, he can handle any situation, he can handle any circumstance or threat or provide any need or respond to any request that you and I might make to him. And he can do it per- perfectly and he can do it precisely in his own way and in his own time, any time he wants to, because he is God. Infinite, powerful God. To put it another way, there isn't anything that Jeremiah is facing in his life in this moment or that you and I uh, could be dealing with right now, that God is not infinitely bigger than and more powerful than and in control of. Do you believe that this morning? That's who your God is. That's who you will be talking to when you pray. And as we reflect on that kind of a reality, it doesn't matter what we might encounter. God's going to be bigger than that thing. Whatever you bring to him. He is bigger than that. And that's really what God is wanting to say to Jeremiah in this moment. Remember who I am. I am the one who made it all. I made the earth. You can never ask me for anything that's too big. That's cool. That's verse 2. In fact, if you glance back across your Bible page, back into chapter 32 and find verse 27, here's what God says. This might be a verse to underline or highlight in your Bible. It's a great verse. God says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? That's a great, that's a great question. What's the answer to that? No, no, there's nothing too hard for you. Ten thousand times, no, nothing too hard for you. And let's not miss the name Lord. That God refers to himself by in verse 2, how many times? Three times. You notice that in one verse, he uses his personal name three times. We read it again in verse 27 of chapter 32. You suppose God's trying to tell us something by repeating his name over and over? The Hebrew name that we translate into English as Lord with all capital letters there in your Bible, it's it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, which... We read for the very first time in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when God promises, promises to Moses that he's going to bring the Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. And, of course, God kept that promise. And so his name, 
Yahweh is inseparably connected to him as a God who is a promise keeper, a covenant keeper. And here his very name is a pledge of his fidelity, his, his commitment. He always does what he says he's going to do. His name is Yahweh. He never overpromises and he never underdelivers. His name is Yahweh. And since he created the world, there's nothing that he can't do, no situation that he is not greater than. And if he promises that he'll answer when we pray, he's going to answer. He is Yahweh. He's the Lord. So if you flip your note page over, then the obligation or the burden that really falls upon you and me is to respond to God's promise that he will answer our prayers when we call on him. Because God is always present, because he's always powerful, and he always keeps his promise, in verse 3, Yahweh says, because of all of that, call to me. I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things that you've not known. The obligation, the burden is upon us to respond to this incredible invitation, this incredible promise. In the New Testament, Jesus frames the very same thought, being God in the flesh, when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. Brothers and sisters, often we make prayer, I believe, more complicated than it needs to be. At its core, from verse 3 of Jeremiah 33, prayer is simply calling out to God. It's just calling out to Him. Call to me. The word call that God chooses to use here in Hebrew, it means to speak boldly or to call out loud, or it's even used to refer to roaring, to roar. It was used to describe the cry of, of a baby bird as it called for food from its parents. It was used of a child calling out to its mom when the child was frightened. It's that. That's the word. Jeremiah 33.3 has been called God's phone number. 333. That's easy to remember, isn't it? I like that. God's phone number. We're invited to call him anytime in this verse. A number of years ago, a movie came out in which the lead character had, as part of the story, the literal phone number of God and could dial up God on the phone anytime and talk to him. Many who saw the movie wrote down the number and then later dialed it. Now, this turned out to be both good and bad. Bad for the lady in St. Petersburg, Florida, who had this actual phone number and then received 20 calls an hour for, for some time after the movie's release. So that was good. The people wanted to talk to God. Uh, or bad. I mean, that, that was good that they wanted to talk to God. Bad for the lady. So, so... But for us, there's no hoping. There's no, no, no phone number that we have to dial up there. In verse 3, call to me, God says. The God of the universe, the God for whom nothing is impossible or too difficult, invites us to talk to him. And those three words say it all. Call to me. 
And yet, as wide open as this invitation is, even Jeremiah had to be commanded to call out to the Lord. This is an imperative invitation, meaning that it's not a suggestion. God is not suggesting something to Jeremiah, which he then can either choose to do or not choose to do. This is an imperative command. Call to me. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is that when we don't do this, when we don't call out to the Lord, when we don't pray, we are disregarding the will of God for us as much as if we ignored any other of his commands. Now think about that. To not pray is to disobey. I don't know if we think about that um, or get that side, that perspective on prayer as we should. Prayerlessness in your life, in my life, is not just something we don't choose to do. It's disobedience. It's not just a neutral spot in our relationship with our God where I, I can, can do it or not. It, 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 no big deal. No, for God it's a big deal. Call to me. Imperative command. In fact, that may explain why Jesus uses three different phrases to say what God says in Jeremiah 33.3 with one phrase. In Matthew 7.7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. All three of those are divine invitations to pray to call to God, but they're not just invitations, and they certainly aren't suggestions. They are imperative commands. And when you do this, when you do this, God says, I will answer. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given. It will be found. It will be opened. Not might, it will be so. In Psalm chapter 4, verse 3, David says, The Lord will hear when I call to him. Church family, do you believe this this morning? Do you? Let me ask it one more time. Do you believe that the Lord will hear you when you call him? Yes. Good. So, why is it then, brothers and sisters, that too often we do not call to him? We do not talk to him. Even when we are going through really, really tough times, we will fail to call to him. Why is that? If you believe it, why do we not do it more? And then when we do do it, when we, when we do call on him, you know, it's interesting how often it's the last resort, right? If, if we're honest, when, when all other avenues have been exhausted, then we think, hmm, maybe I should pray. All right? Why is that? You know, in James chapter 4, verse 2, the Holy Spirit says about as plainly as it can be stated, you do not have because you what? You don't ask. You don't ask. God says, I want to give, but you don't ask. Why is that? We have to call. We have to ask. So I wonder if the reason we don't call and we don't ask is because perhaps in the past 
when we did that, we failed to catch his answers. Maybe that's where the issue really lies. We failed to catch his answers. God answered, Jesus heard, and he answered because both of them promised that if we call out, they will answer. We must have failed to catch the answer. And after calling out to the Lord and after asking and seeking and knocking and and we don't seem to get any answer, we stop calling. But God says, I will answer you. Call. Again, God is never preoccupied. He's never busy. He's never away when we call. We're never going to get his voicemail. He promises to answer. The problem is that we've decided, I think, we've decided before we even pray what the answer needs to look like and in what time frame it needs to happen. Right? Isn't that how it goes so much with our prayer life? We've already defined for God or for Jesus what form and in what time frame the answer to our prayer should come. And when that answer doesn't show up in that particular time, then we conclude that God didn't answer. And I wonder if after a few of those, we just stop asking. The fault is not with God. It is with us. God always answers. The failure must be that we don't catch the answer. He's pleased to to blow right through our our definitions of what the prayer should look like when it's answered or what time frame it should happen. And God isn't concerned about all that. Fellow Christian, I wonder if our first prayer should be this prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, enable me to catch your answer when you send it. I don't want to miss your answer. You know, over the years, I have read a boatload of stuff on prayer, as you might imagine. But I have never come across anything that has been more helpful to me or simple for my simple mind to get a hold of than what I'm going to share with you in this moment. Since, since our God always answers our prayers, then his answer is going to come, I believe, in one of four ways. And I, for my part, need only to trust him for his answer when he wants to give it and catch it when it arrives. So if my request is wrong, I call out to God in obedience to pray, and, and my request is wrong, God's going to say what? He's going to say no. Now, is no an answer? Yes, of course it is an answer. It's not the answer we want. But it is an answer from him. Spurgeon writes, Even the Lord's people ask for things which would not be for God's glory to give, nor for their profit to receive. Does that ever happen for you? Do you ask what's not good for you? God says no. If my request is wrong, God will say no. If my timing is wrong, God will say what? Slow. You're on the right track, but... We need to take this more slowly. And boy, we don't like that either, do we? But is that an answer? Slow is an answer, yeah. And then if something is wrong in me, if something is wrong in my heart, if something's wrong in my thinking, God might say, I hear your request, 
But this is a time for you to grow. That's the answer. God says, this is a teaching moment. This is a faith-growing moment. I've heard you, and I will answer you. We're going to grow here. But if my request is right, the timing is right, and I am right, God says, let's go. Let's do this thing that you've asked me for. Call to me, and I will answer you with a no, a slow, a grow, or a go, but I will answer you every single time. The challenge for you is to what? Catch my answer. Catch my answer. Now, this little, this little thing, it, 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 it's kind of rhymy and a little sing-songy, and you might think it's a little bit juvenile, but it just fits me perfectly. And maybe it does you too, because it puts the cookies on the bottom shelf. It helps me. Now, there in the middle of your note page, I have included some biblical truths that have bearing on how God answers our prayers. And and I've just jotted down ten. There are more. But it's good if we keep these truths in mind as part of our prayer life. And, And then maybe I would just suggest, if you have an opportunity, come back this week in your quiet time and maybe unpack these a little bit. Go to the references and uh, explore them a little bit more because these things do have bearing on our prayers as well. When it comes to a working, difference-making prayer life, be sure that you are in a faith relationship with Jesus. That's the best place to start, right? Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please Him without faith in Jesus. That means you can't pray to Him without faith in Jesus and pleasing him in that way. You can pray to him and ask for Jesus to come into your life, but then you need Jesus to really release that that prayer. Make your request in Jesus' name. John 14, 13, Jesus will say, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. When we pray what Jesus prays for, man, we can't go wrong. Ask according to God's will. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, this is how you want to pray to God. Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God loves to answer his kids' prayers, especially when we want what he wants. Right? Confess all known sin in your life. Psalm 66.18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Man, unconfessed sin impacts our our ability to pray. We all know that. Live in harmony with your spouse. This is an interesting one. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The health of my marriage impacts my prayer life. We need to think about that. Forgive those who have wronged you. Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. If you're harboring some kind of an unforgiving spirit toward a brother or sister, that's going to impact your prayer life. It can't not do that. Make sure your motives are God-honoring. James chapter 4, verse 3. 
When you ask and you do not receive, it's because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Well, we need to look at our hearts. Why am I asking for this thing? Stay close to Jesus, John 15:7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Just stay close to me because then you're going to ask rightly. Listen to God's word, Proverbs 28, 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to my word, the law, even his prayers are detestable. In other words, there's hypocrisy. If you're praying to me, but you're not seeking my word, then there's a disconnect, and that's going to impact your prayer life. Be willing to share with the poor. Lastly there, Proverbs 21:13. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. Now, clearly, there's more of these, but these truths remind us that, that even things that we might not think would impact our prayer life can. And they can impact how God responds. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God is encouraging Jeremiah in the last part of verse 3. Letting him know that if he will call, he's not going to be disappointed. God's going to, going to share with him great and hidden things that he's not known. In fact, before chapter 33 even comes to an end, God tells Jeremiah that all of the bad news that he's been proclaiming about his people and, and the invasion and the deportation and the enslavement by a, a foreign power, he's going to tell Jeremiah before the chapter is even over This is not your people's end. This is not how the story concludes. I am going to bring them back home. And even in this chapter, God makes a promise to send Jesus. Look at chapter 33, verses 14 and 15. We'll put them up on the screen for you. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Who is the righteous branch? That's Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's God's promise. I'm going to send you Jesus. Talk about a great and hidden thing that's now brought out into the open because you called on me. That's God answering a prayer. The practical prayer insight for us out of Verse 3 is that when we pray and God answers, we should expect the unexpected, right? We should. That's what this verse is encouraging. I will tell you great and hidden things you've not known. Expect the unexpected. God wants so much for us to see his power and his faithfulness and his greatness. And so he says, pray, ask me, call to me, and I will answer you and expect the unexpected. We hear something similar to this when Paul prays for the Ephesian church. Listen to these words. We'll put them on the screen as well. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we what? Ask or think. Outside the box. Expect the unexpected. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
That's Paul expecting the unexpected for a church in the first century. And that's how we're to pray. Brothers and sisters, we call to the Lord, striving to catch his answers, expecting the unexpected. And we can do that because, uh, because of the assurance of his presence, because of his power, and because of his promise to answer. We can do that. And then Jesus gives us one more prayer incentive, one more prayer encouragement, and we'll wrap it all up here. Out of Matthew chapter 7, he says, Remember, remember who your God is. He is your Father. Don't forget that when you call to Him. He's your Father. Look again. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. That's the promise. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, your father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. What Jesus is telling us is that backing up God's invitation to ask and to seek and to knock is the truth that when we do, we are responding to the love that God has for us because he is our father through faith in Jesus. Do you follow the argument? Do you follow his train of thought? Jesus argues really from the lesser to the the greater to make his point. If an earthly son comes to his dad and asks for some bread, his dad's not going to give him a rock, right? He's not going to do that. No earthly father who loved his child is going to do that. That would be cruel. That would be uncaring. That would crush the son's heart. I asked for bread. You gave me a rock. Why, dad? And no earthly dad would who loves his kids is going to give them a snake when they ask for a piece of fish. That would be heartless. And in fact, in our day, we would call that abuse, right? CPS would show up. The kids also would be terrified. They would never ask dad for anything again. I ask for bread, I get a rock. I ask for for fish and I get a snake. I'm not going to ask anymore. Jesus' point is that loving parents don't do such cruel things. Love would not allow them to do that. So if earthly parents who possess a sin nature and have a natural bent towards selfishness, if they will love their children well when their children come to them and ask for things, how much more, how much more Will the infinitely perfect, infinitely sinless, infinitely loving Father of all of us respond to his children's request when they come to him and ask for something? That's the argument. How much more? And so Jesus is saying, remember who's your daddy. Right? That's really what he's saying. When you come and pray to me, remember who's your daddy. Through faith in Jesus. Who's your father? Remember who he is and what he's like. And you ask and you seek and you knock because he only has good for you. That encourages me to pray. And brothers and sisters, does that not take us back to those four truths about God and the way he answers our prayer and our 
our catching of his answers. If my request is wrong, God says, no. If my timing is wrong, God says, if, if, my, if something is wrong in me, God's going to say, grow. But if my request is right and the timing is right and, and I am right, then God's going to say, go, right? Why? Because he's our father and he loves me. He loves us and he only is going to give us good and he will always, always answer. No, slow, grow, or go. Call to me and I will answer you. I promise. That's slow. Yeah, yeah. Let's pray together. Church family, let's pray. Oh, oh, thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful promise. How can our days not be different living with this promise that you always answer our prayers? We confess to you that sometimes we want to box you in with our requests. We want you to do it our way and in our time, and we're sorry that that we, we do that. Um, it's part of our sin nature to do that, to want to control. But we so thank you that you are bigger than our requests and you see the beginning from the end and, and you will answer in one of these four ways every single time because you've promised to do so. Thank you for being our Father today. May we leave this place more committed than ever to calling upon you every single day, multiple times throughout the day, because you have commanded us to. And we love you, but only because you loved us first. And all God's people said, Amen.